0: Hey everybody, welcome to Social Beauty Makers podcast, where every Wednesday, we'll bring you fast paced, powerful 15 or so minute episodes meant to inform, educate and inspire around a variety of topics, including trends and all things tech for the professional salon industry. First, a reminder, on Sundays, you can find me hosting Beautycast Networks, mastering beauty Podcast, featuring brilliant guests, sharing their best advice on building sustainable, successful and satisfying careers. All right, so thanks for tuning in today. Let's get started. Oh, I got a lot of things I want to talk about, but I, but I got to start by saying I've got the flu. Um, I just came back from Premier uh, Columbus, and I'm not saying that the show was in any way responsible for my, for my flu. It could have happened anywhere. Uh, but um, And I'm on a little bit of the tail end of it at this point, I think, but uh, I'm not a good sick person. So I decided to take my mind off it by doing today's podcast. And so, um, yeah, I got a, a few things that I'd like to talk about, one coming from the show itself, which is... I want to chat for a moment about the really, really important idea of of showing up. In Columbus, BeautyCast Network did a a panel and we had, um, you know, just a a really great group of people. We had Presley Poe, we had um, um, Ira Pope Sage, and we had Danny Amaram, success addict. And they just did such a great job and inspiring students. Talked about a lot of things, but they really zeroed in on this showing up idea and I think regardless of our age, it's, it's so powerful, so important. I've been traveling a lot lately. And to, to be perfectly honest, the last thing that I wanted to do was to go to another beauty show. Now, having said that, I love a beauty show. Always have. And the pandemic you know, kind of changed our thinking about that, I guess, uh, somewhat. But um, I was doing the math in my head. Like, how many trips have I taken over the course of my career and how many beauty shows? Um, so many of the trips are to either beauty or brand shows as well as meetings. I think I've clocked in over 500 trips easily, probably a little bit more than that. And um, that's a lot of trips. So I, you know, I, I, I give myself some room when I have that feeling of I don't want to go again. Um, but when I got there, when I showed up, when I, when I did what I was supposed to do, first thing I did was have lunch with Tabitha Coffee, my friend. Um, and... Their conversation on the panel just reminded me, because it was the next morning after my time with Tabitha, and I spent a, a few hours chatting with Tabitha, just kind of catching up on life. And we had such a great conversation. We had so much fun. And then that evening, well, let me back up. She got a phone call from Christopher Benson, who was doing an evening event in Columbus, um, kind of a, a club gig at, with a whole bunch of hairdressers. I think had 30 different hairdressers on stage. It was kind of a party and music and a lot of creativity. And she got a call from Christopher and said, oh, I'm sitting here with Gordon. And he said, oh, my gosh, please invite Gordon and Penny Burns from BeautyCast to come over to the, to the event. So, got to do that. Had I not shown up, I would not have spent time with Tabitha because I didn't know she was going to be there. Um, would not have run into Christopher by way of Tabitha and got to go to that event uh, because I didn't know he was going to be there. I wasn't paying close enough attention. And then, of course, at the show, ran into all kinds of people, including people that I don't know or didn't know before that, who are podcast fans or know me from other things. And so, showing up, you know, is, is a big deal. And my entire career, as I start to think about uh, whatever amount of success I've had, I'd say that probably 80% of it has to do with showing up. And so, it was a great reminder to hear this from the stage and um, a, a powerful reminder that I just wanted to share with all of you. I, I think it's a really big deal. now. There's a lot of chatter these days, uh, mostly coming from coaches, but it, it bleeds out. Lots of people are talking about all kinds of things. Social media has become this platform, um, often a very toxic platform. Like I, I'm somebody who's known as a, a bit of an evangelist for social media. I was talking about it over 10 years ago, telling everybody the power that it was going to have for the industry. And I stand by that. It has been game changing in so many ways, but it has gotten really kind of nasty and toxic. And um, you know, it's, it's sometimes I, I, I have trouble. You know, just kind of reconciling, you know, the the good versus the bad. I don't post as much as I used to. And I probably did a a solid 10 years of of posting um, without missing a day. You know, I just... I I was really passionate about it. And actually, more than 10 years. And um, really, coming through pandemic, that changed. And now I'm probably maybe two or three times a week, um, other than my podcast posts. And I often struggle with that, and it's not because I don't want to share with people, but it's just again the, the toxicity, you know, across each of the platforms, and they're all a little bit different that way, you know. Um, I, I am enjoying TikTok. Um, I'm not really participating. I'm watching, um, but but even there, you know, things can be a little wonky, I guess. And so, showing up in real time to me has never been more important, um, because we are so influenced by all the online stuff, and again, the negativity that comes with it. You know that it concerns me, and and relative to some of those coaching conversations, there's this kind of like do less mentality, and I get it. You know, I get it. I wanted to do less. I didn't want to go to Columbus. You know, but I'm so glad that I did. Just the chance to sit with Tabitha Coffee for three hours, you know, is is amazing, and um, worth every bit of the discomfort that, that I'm now you know kind of going through. But again, you know, some of the messaging coming out of the coaching, this, you know work you know part-time and, and make more money, which is possible. There's no doubt about it. That's a complicated conversation. I mean, usually it's it's compressing more into the time you have, right? So okay, I get it. You know, so let's be more efficient in our time. That's really important. We all should be always looking to do that, no matter how many hours we work. How can we be more efficient in our work? How can we be more efficient in our pricing? How can we we be more efficient in our marketing and the conversations we have with folks to to you know kind of ring every dollar out of every bit of work we do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Um, I'm kind of the, the guy who, if I can get things done faster, um, I'm, doesn't mean I'm going to work less. It means I'm going to stuff more into the time I saved so I can get even more back. And again, we all have to kind of find our way around boundaries. Um, and I get the importance of boundaries. I've spent my life you know, um, around people with great boundaries. I believe that I have great boundaries. I happen to be a workaholic, a very happy workaholic. And so, I can give you a whole list of what my boundaries are, but you know, I'll just give you my top one. And that is that happiness. You know, I'm all about being a happy person. And when I'm not happy, then I make changes in my life. But working makes me happy. Um, it may not make somebody else happy. And so, they can have their boundaries around that. But when it comes to professionalism and, and being a professional and being successful and looking how people have got there, how most of us get there. I would say that um, working less um, is not necessarily the best way to get there. Now, if you're you know, a family person and you've got a lot of other priorities in your life, and I would hope your family would be your first priority, you know, then you have to kind of make some negotiation, negotiations around this boundaries conversation. And I get that. I respect that. I, I love you for that. I think it's so important. And you don't want to look back later in life and go, gosh, you know, why was it never around? I mean, so those are really important, very individual conversations, but this kind of one size fits all, you know, that everybody should work less and yet consider themselves to be, you know, the ultimate professional, gets a little bit dicey. Um, I'm hearing a lot of stories from people who are listening to, to some coaches who have lost their businesses, who have lost their careers. Um, I'm not saying, you know, that's the majority, but but it's happening. I'm hoping to have somebody on the podcast who, who's going to talk about that soon. But um, some really kind of dire stories. Um, and when you hear the stories, you're just kind of like, hmm, you know, how did this go sideways? And so, I think, you know, um, anything you hear from anybody, I think you have to take it with a grain of salt. I think you have to consider the source, including me, you know, including all of us, you know, who are putting words out there. I, I, I think it's so, so important. Um, But again, back to boundaries and and this idea of showing up, I think that, again, when I look around the industry, the entire industry over decades, and look at the success stories, I don't know anybody who has become successful, including these same coaches who we're talking, um, that are are doing it by working less. I think there's a tendency in today's world, not just in our industry, the news, in, in particular, the news. Um, but, but I'm seeing it in the coaching space. I'm seeing it in, in, in the educator space somewhat, where there's a, a, a certain amount of folks who are just putting out, you know, I use the word clickbait, you know, if we were online, but just putting out ideas that are, you know, maybe not radical. They're telling people what they want to hear. You know, I, I spoke recently about artificial intelligence and people not wanting to try it. And I used a metaphor of my growing up as a kid who didn't like broccoli, you know? And I think, you know, um, if someone had said to me at a young age, let's say my mom was trying to convince me to eat broccoli. She wasn't shoving it down my throat. She was just kind of gently trying to get me there over time. And eventually she did. But if I had a, another relative say, you know what? broccoli's really bad for you. Like, whatever happens, you don't need to eat your broccoli. You really don't. Mom's nice. You know, try to act like you're listening to mom, you know, um, or, or not. But, you know, you don't need to eat broccoli. Well, that would have become my favorite aunt of all time, probably, in that moment. Because you know, I when things aren't working for us, when we're not, when we're that person who just can't get excited about retail, can't sell retail. I don't know. No matter what we do, we're just it's not happening. And if somebody says, "Oh, retail—that's that's that's a joke. That's ridiculous. You can't make any money." Then of course you're going to be drawn to that. And I see a lot of that happening in the marketing. And and we have to remember when I say marketing, all content is marketing, right? So social media posts—that's marketing. Um, and don't think it's anything else. By the way, social media posts. Um, by anybody, I, my own social media posts. I mean, I am a business person who is on social sharing because I love sharing in this industry. It's a big part, I think, of who I am as a person, as a professional. But it's a career, it's business. When I'm no longer in my career, in my business, I won't be sharing in the same way that I do now because it's it's different. I don't, I it doesn't benefit me in the same way. And, and benefit doesn't have to mean money, you know. But doesn't benefit me in terms of having a presence, you know. And and you know so. We have to remember that about everything we see, and it's a form of marketing. And, and I would say, you know, we have to be cautious as to how, you know, we listen to those things. Because again, there's a lot of stuff happening right now that I think is just kind of kind of buying into fear, I guess, is, is, is the best way of saying it. But also some weird stuff going on. Um, there's a group that's about to launch an insurance program. I know nothing about it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But I do want to say, as I always say, you know, let the buyer beware. It's a very old kind of, I think, Greek or Latin phrase um, translated, obviously, to English. But it's really a powerful one because, again, live in a complicated world with all these marketing messages. And, and um, insurance is interesting. Insurance, um, as someone who's spent 10 years as an association director in the industry um, back in uh, the late 90s and early 2000s, I spent a lot of time talking to insurance professionals and people in the industry about how we could get insurance for professionals. Because that we had just come from an era when professionals did have insurance. And there was good programs. There actually was. There was good group policies for all kinds of trades. It was a different time. The government changed all kinds of laws about insurance companies. Lobbyists kind of took the steering wheel you know, away from the government and drove the bus the way they wanted to, which was towards profitability, towards less good policies for people, less rights, in, in, in a sense, as it relates to healthcare. And so, insurance had become really a quagmire. And what I learned about that and continue to watch it closely is that, you know, insurance as a business, you know, is the basic idea behind insurance is 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 a risk pool. We all pay in our insurance premium into a risk pool. That would be the company that insures us. And their goal is to make a lot of money. And they're a private business. That's okay. You know, the question is how much money should they make? And they're making a lot. Um, So we all pay into a pool. And then when somebody gets hurt, somebody gets sick, depending on the kind of insurance it is, somebody's house blows over, they have to pay out. And so there's a there's a science to figuring out how much money has to be paid in to cover all the money going out and still make a profit. And one of the big, big ideas around insurance is this risk pool and controlling it and staying away from risky pools, right? Risk groups of people who have really, really high risk. Here's what I learned from the insurance companies many years ago about the hair care industry, about hairdressing. Barbering our industry generally, um, across the board, we are considered a very very high risk pool. We are an industry that is populated predominantly by women, and so you have when you have any health insurance pool that skews very very high in women. You know, unlike a a typical pool that would be everybody pretty much, um, so men and women in relatively equal numbers. When you have a pool that skews very high with women. Women's health issues, including birth, you know, hospitalization related to that, and other, you know, women's health issues, cancers, a certain cancers, are, you know, skew higher in female populations. Um, those things add a whole lot of risk to the pool. So, a risk pool for an industry like ours is considered very, very high. So, the insurance companies, and there are many who want to make money off of it still, um, they'll offer things, but those programs tend to not be very good. Um, And so, what I would say to anybody who's looking at a healthcare program that relates to hairdressing is look at it really carefully. If you have insurance, be really, really careful to read the fine print because I've seen examples throughout my history in the industry of insurance programs popping up that were just not good, um, not good value. And what actually happened in two incidents I know about with big insurance companies is I would say less than a year in, they shut the programs down. The reason? Because they were paying out so much money because people... This is interesting, too, to say. About, I would say, 15 years or so ago, I was involved in a study of hairdressers, kind of a, a survey, if you will. How many hairdressers need health insurance? It was interesting. Only about 25% of this very large population that was surveyed had any interest in it. First of all, you had a lot of families, and so a spouse or some other a mechanism allowed that person to have good health, health insurance, good relative to what was available in the marketplace. Now we have you know, Obamacare or whatever it's called, the Affordable Care Act, and it is available to everybody and it has given insurance to a lot of people who couldn't get it. It costs too much for all of us, but you know, it kind of is what it is. And as soon as you start looking at anything that costs less, the quality of what you're going to get is less. Now, if you're younger, you don't have the same needs. You don't have the same risks. And so it's easy to not want to get insurance. And when we surveyed people, we found out there was a very young cohort, a whole lot of people who were below a certain age. Um, I don't remember where that break was, but let's say twenty five or less. i could be could be wrong in what that survey said. But younger people were less interested in having insurance. and um, and of course, again, we you know have to have insurance in certain ways. So again, some people then look for cheap alternatives, and those cheap alternatives tend to do nothing more than be places you put your money. Probably most important when we think about insurance is like who's making the money? And when programs are put together like by associations, by uh, unions, by groups. There's a considerable amount of that money that's paid in that goes back to the organization. So, it's like a commission. So, if anybody is putting together like, an insurance package, they're probably getting commission. I would ask for transparency. What percentage of all the money coming through are you getting? Um, because as much as we all like to be good people and, and, and there's nothing bad about making money out of business. So you know, We live in a capitalist society and there's nothing bad about People making money through insurance programs, if they're putting them out there, if they're fronting them, but I think you know transparency is really important because I can tell you that the percentage that goes to whoever is fronting that insurance program connected to a larger insurer, you know, um, they're getting something, and and the less they get, the less you have to pay because it's it, it's a pass through basically. So I think you know that's really important to say. Most important is who is the carrier, you know, who is the carrier and. What is the history of that carrier? And I would assume anybody who's putting an insurance program out to the industry is going is to find a good carrier. But good carriers don't mean that the plan is going to last. You know, so because again, if you have a high risk pool of a lot of women, um, a lot of gay men, you know, I'm a gay man. Um, we are considered a high risk pool. We just, we are, you know, um, AIDS is with us. And, and those are really costly um, situations. The drugs that you see on television cost a lot of money. Um, and so the insurance companies... They look at that pool. They want to spread that pool out around, you know. So, um, and in our industry, you know, there's a little bit of isolation. So, I think anyway, I'm, I'm kind of doing a little bit of current events. I, we haven't seen what this program looks like. I've been googling, trying to figure it out. You know, it's sponsored by uh, an acronym I've never heard of. I can't find it on Google. Um, again, I'm not criticizing. I'm I'm talking about it so you can have your mind in the right place if you see it, if you consider it, and, and do your due diligence because changing healthcare programs for any of us. I, I've had times in my life where I moved from one company to another, my health benefits changed. It was significant. Things, things all of a sudden shifted. You know, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong diabetic or almost lifelong most of my adult life. And, you know, that's a big deal. And that affects what I need from health benefits. And so, again, back to where I started, um, may the buyer uh, beware. All right. So, I think I run over. Um, I think, um, again, showing up back to where I started. It's, it's i'm glad to have shown up today i feel better already i um apologize for you know picking on the coach category um, i have some coaches i adore i have some coaches that i have big question marks over my head when i look at them and i have some things i hear from certain coaches who taken out of context and i don't always know the full context i just hear what's being posted on social um very much concern me and so um as i've said often some of it feels very very much like fake beauty news Someone that feels very, very much like clickbait to draw attention. And so, um, yeah, uh, again, may the buyer beware. Um, I'm going to talk about artificial intelligence next time because they've just released through ChatGPT um, the ability to put images into the ChatGPT, which I absolutely love. I've already played with it a little bit uh, using uh, my rescue dog, Cody, and my rescue cat, Olivia, and just kind of playing around, uh, getting information. And and um, it identified both of them by breed and did it really, really accurately, which was kind of fun. I haven't done anything professionally with it, but um, I'm excited to try that next voice has also um, been um, implemented and has been is is rolling out I don't know if it's available to everybody yet but it's in uh, the 4.0 which is you know more the paid version of it but AI continues to evolve super 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 fast i mean it is changing so fast and i encourage everybody to give it a try if you've not tried it only 18 percent of americans have tried it so um, i hope more will will jump on the bandwagon because it it, uh, i'm hearing great feedback from so many hairdressers from so many salon owners who are giving it a go all right so i'm gonna wrap up if you like what you heard today i encourage you to visit me over at socialbeautymakers.com sign up for my free newsletter for more content for easy access to the podcast um i hope you will tune in on every sunday Um, to the Beautycast network mastering uh beauty podcast and i'm having great conversations over there with some really really brilliant professionals and uh honored to have you as a listener thank you so much for that leave a review Um, i haven't had a review in a long time somebody leave me a review i would be so appreciative (laughs) i know by now you're probably tuned out it's the end of the podcast but if you're up for it you like the podcast leave me a a review Um, Once again, I want to thank you for tuning in. I am Gordon Miller, and I cannot wait to share more with you again next time.